Our second reading this morning comes from the book of James, the second chapter, the first 17 verses. Friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God. James writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which says, Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Holy with an E-Y, Chaos. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, stir something within us. Through the work of your spirit, move in our souls that this old story, that these perhaps difficult words might speak fresh life, might call us to renewed action. Oh God, we do pray that through the the work of your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight might be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Jim Wallace, who is the founder and editor of the widely circulated Sojourners magazine, tells the story about one of his first days in seminary back in 1970 at a school in northwest Chicago. That day he found himself meeting in a dorm room with eight other seminary students. They had all been raised in large mainline evangelical churches. And as their conversation progressed, it turned to the topic of poverty, of the poor. And one by one, they went around that room and each failed to recall a single time in their churches growing up where a sermon was preached on the biblical call to care for the poor. An experiment arose out of that realization and that conversation. One among them took an old Bible off their shelf and an extra sharp pair of scissors and decided that he was going to go through the Bible page by page, verse by verse, and cut out every single reference to the poor to God's call to care for the poor, to justice for the widow and the orphan. And he began, and what he found was rather startling. As he cut out from page after page, he came to find that in the Old Testament, behind only the theme of idolatry, was this theme of caring for the poor. They turned to the New Testament next and continued cutting. They found that one in every 16 verses in the New Testament is about caring for the poor. One in every 10, if you look at just the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One in every seven, if you just look at Luke. By the end of it, they were left with this Bible that was in tatters barely holding together. Wallace, as it turns out, held on to that Bible, and when he speaks around the country and the world, he often takes it with him to make the point that a faith absent care for the poor, a faith that does not have at its very heart a call to serve the least of these, simply put, is not a biblical faith. It is a faith full of holes, a faith in tatters. That experiment changed Jim Wallace's life. Fifty years later, he is still working and preaching and teaching, seeking to call people of faith to renewed sense of care for the least of these. Jim Wallace hopes that that Bible will inspire us to also find a renewed sense of call to care for the least of these. I was thinking about that Bible this week as I read these verses from James because I was wondering to myself, what does the book of James look like in that Bible? Does this passage that we have just read even appear in that Bible? I mean, James is rather unequivocal in our passage today, is he not? He paints this vivid scene of a meeting place, perhaps a sanctuary much like this one, complete with a center aisle and a pulpit and ushers at the doors. 
Two people enter, James says, one rich, one poor, one with a gold ring and designer clothes, one dirty with a face that has gone unwashed for days. One is shown to the best seat in the house, perhaps in the Presbyterian tradition, the best seat in the house back there. One is told to sit out of sight. James declares in this passage that if you show that kind of favoritism, you sin. You break the law. You are no better than murderers or adulterers, he goes so far as to say. Because as he praises it, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? You know, I think if we listen close, we can hear the sound of paper hitting the floor of a seminary dorm room 50 years ago. Now, those of us here who, like myself, were raised in a mainline tradition, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, those who perhaps are scholars of the Reformed faith may be a bit scandalized by these verses, and I assure you that you're not alone. Martin Luther, the original of the 16th century reformers, questioned whether the book of James should even be included in the canon, in the Bible itself. He was so offended by James' relentless focus on action and works because it seemed to challenge so centrally that core tenet of the reformed faith of justification by faith alone. But friends, I would suggest today that perhaps those two things, justification by faith and the works that follow, are not necessarily mutually exclusive things. That though, yes, we are absolutely saved by faith alone. Hear me say it. There is no scoreboard anywhere. No one's keeping track of how much good you're doing versus how much good you're doing. There is no scoreboard. And yet our faith, friends, is nonetheless half-hearted and half-baked if it does not lead us outside our comfort zones to care and to live and to work for and with others. Even Paul, St. Paul, who Martin Luther goes to to form that doctrine of justification by faith. Paul, who wrote the letter to the Romans that so inspired Luther. Even Paul preaches and teaches that those baptized by the Holy Spirit and the faith are called to live out that faith. To let themselves be led by the Spirit out into the world to share that love with others. And so our faith is indeed half-hearted and half-baked if it does not lead us to do likewise. If it does not lead us outside our zones of comfort to live for and with others. And the others who James and Jesus, mind you, point us towards are the poor, the downtrodden, those in our world and in our lives who are most well acquainted with hardship and sorrow and grief. 
As one commentator puts it, James sees in the faces of beggars the resplendent visages of celestial queens and kings. How beautiful is that? James sees in the face of beggars the resplendent visages of celestial kings and queens. There's a church in downtown Asheville, North Carolina, that's called the Haywood Street United Methodist Church. They worship every Sunday at 3.30 in the afternoon, every Wednesday at 12.30. The sanctuary is almost always packed full. It's not quite as big as ours, but rarely is there a seat to be had. In many ways, it's a congregation that looks not that much unlike our own. There are people in business suits and button-ups. On those weekday services, it's not unusual for bankers and partners and law firms of the buildings around, for coffee baristas and waiters and waitresses about to begin their shifts to come and to gather for worship at Haywood Street. But what is unique about Haywood is that mixed in with all those faces that are not that much different than those here today are the faces of people who society has largely forgotten. There are people in worship each and every week who push their lives and grocery carts up and down the hills of Asheville. There are people there in worship who live under bridges, who live in the shelters around Haywood Street, who live in the city parks of Asheville. There are teenage runaways. There are people who are unshaven and unwashed. There are black and white and Hispanic. There are addicts. There are people in recovery. There are even church dogs who come to worship each week. You know, people who live on the street sometimes have animals that are in many ways their family but are also their protection and they too are welcome at Haywood. The pastor describes that church as being a church of his term holy chaos. It's a church in other words that does not show favoritism. It's a church that looks a lot like the church I think James is envisioning in his passage today. It's a church, too, where roles are often reversed. Where those who think that they are coming to do good, they are coming to serve those people who society has forgotten, instead find themselves as the ones who are being served around table. Instead, find themselves as being the ones who are being helped through their addiction, through their grief, through their joblessness. It's a place where rich and poor sit side by side. It's a place where people spontaneously speak up and speak out. They have this incredible practice that sort of worried me at first because no one had warned me about it, but as you come in, they hand out these plastic bottles that are full of rice And every time during the time of prayer, someone lifts up a prayer concern or lifts up a thanksgiving for a prayer answered, everyone shakes their bottle of rice as if to say, Lord, hear our prayer. 
church of holy chaos. I did worship there once. It was several years ago. It was on a Wednesday afternoon. I had been invited by a friend who worships there regularly. The only way I can describe it is that in that holy chaos, in that place, you feel the Holy Spirit in a way you seldom feel anywhere else. You see and literally taste the kingdom of God as a homeless man breaks off a piece of bread and says, Alan, the body of Christ, broken for you. And a homeless woman offers the cup, saying, the cup of salvation offered for you. The roles are reversed. It's a place where you taste that incredible line from our passage today. You taste the triumph of mercy. It's a place where when the pastor says, all are welcome, you believe it because you can see it. It's a place where you meet Jesus himself. Now some of you are perhaps thinking, that's all well and good, but we're not downtown Asheville. In fact, many of us here today have perhaps chosen to move or live here for the very reason we are not downtown Asheville. To get away from all of that. So friends, what does James have to teach and to preach to us? To people who call this beautiful place St. Simon's Island home. When James tells us not to show favoritism, to love our neighbor, what does that look like for people who in many cases have everything they could possibly need? I think for one, this passage from James calls us to remember that that causeway which we all cross so often is a bridge and not a barrier. The causeway connects us not just literally, but also spiritually, metaphorically, to the rest of the world. To remember that it is no mistake that we named our summer mission program here at St. Simon's Presbyterian Bridge because the call of Jesus is to bridge ourselves to others and especially to the poor. Every time we serve at Mana House, every time we sign up for a day of service, or for a mission trip to Florida or anywhere else, every time we help another human being, we are bridging ourselves. But we also cannot forget that the bridge is not a one-way bridge. It's a two-way bridge. As we go out to serve, we must remain open to the very real possibility that in our service, we may actually become the ones who are being served. I think we have to remember, too, in these verses from James that not all poverty is of the economic variety. That while some are outwardly poor and inwardly rich, many more, and especially friends in our community, many more perhaps even here today, 
are outwardly rich by every metric the world can give, and yet inwardly poor, yearning for a good news that no material thing has yet ever satisfied. And the call of Jesus is to embrace both. And lastly, and perhaps most of all, I think James and Jesus together are calling us in these verses to release some holy chaos. Holy with an E-Y. I think James and Jesus are calling us to imagine that we are holding that Bible that Jim Wallace and his friends created all those years ago. To imagine that we have cut out all the verses that speak of caring for the poor, but instead of throwing away all those clippings that result on the floor around us, we scoop them up and we stick them in our pockets and we go out into the world and every time we meet a person who is outwardly or inwardly poor, we reach into our pocket instead of ignoring them and we pull out one of those verses that tells them God loves loves you. Imagine the holy chaos that actions like that could release in this church, on this island, in this county, in this nation, in this world. Holy chaos. Imagine. Friends, the reality is this. There is very real poverty in our community. As we sit here today, there are people who crowd each night under the awning of churches on Gloucester and Brunswick. There are children who receive gifts of food that are quietly slipped into their backpack each Friday in our county schools because the homes to which they will go back to do not have adequate nutrition on the shelves. There are elderly people on this island who, at the end of every month, have to make the choice between paying for groceries or paying for medicine. And at the same time, there are people in our community who drive the most expensive car money can buy, who wear the best clothes that you can find, and yet who hurt deeper than we can even imagine. So every time that we show compassion to the poor, Every time we perform an act of holy chaos, every time we love our neighbor as ourselves, we pronounce that incredibly good news that mercy always triumphs. And in the process, as we perform those acts of holy chaos, we very well may find in the person who we reach out to hand those scriptures to, that person reaching in their pocket and handing back a verse to us, saying, God loves you too. Holy chaos. Imagine.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.